we will be talking about when God opens doors. Very interesting. Um, I even I had to bring up part of this during our deacons meeting because we had a unique situation. I can touch on that um, briefly, but before we get too into it, I want to talk to you a little bit about my open doors. This was kind of inspired based off of some recent events in my life. Um, had some doors opening, doors closing. What I thought was, um, you know, I was kind of really frustrated with my job. It was pulling me away a lot more from home than I ever dreamed it would. I, um, you know, I entered a company. I loved the company, and I still do. But it was, uh, it was to a point I was working. I'm currently working 60 hours a week or so, driving a thousand miles a week. Um, you know, and it's when, and I have opportunities within the church that I can't do simply because of time. And um, I started questioning, am I in the right place? Am I doing the right thing? Um, I heard um, some someone say, if you're not willing to let doors close, you may never have new doors open. And that really kind of hit me hard. So I'm thinking, okay, how do I let doors close without already having doors open? And so I started really thinking about that and praying about that because I think often we're, we will only look at doors that are opening um, while we're still in our comfort zone. And, you know, that statement, if you're not willing to let doors close, you may never have new doors open. It's kind of a scary place to be, let me tell you. Um, and I've been there. But, um, you know, lately I've been pushing for new options. I was pushing. I was looking at different avenues. Kind of within my comfort zone, I talked to a couple hospitals. I looked at new companies closer to home. Again, they were all my ideas. Nothing was really coming through um, or materializing. Some kind of okay ideas, but nothing that suited my liking. And so, um, again, remembering that you have to be willing to let doors close, I gave them my resignation. Um, Talk about scary. Um, Having a wife that stays at home with our daughter with special needs, it was a decision we made a long time ago, but... It was always because I was pretty comfortable in my work and I could support the family, and I gave them my resignation. Granted, I gave them a 100-day notice, um, which I don't know, we can talk about that later. I'm not sure that's a smart thing to do or not. Um, I'm learning a lot from that. But I, needless to say, I had to make sure that I was preparing, you know, laying everything out to protect my family. Uh, shortly after that, I um, heard about RISA, which is a the um, regional educational service agency that our school board um, contracts with to provide all the ancillary staff, any staff that do not fit into the pre-established categories within the school system, which is essentially a teacher and an aide. If you don't fit into those categories, they don't have a place for you within their pay scale, so they contract you in through RISA, um, which includes all of our therapists. And RISA is losing government funding and they're disbanding. And so we have four therapists a week coming into our house, PTOT, Speech and Vision, to work with Emma. And it's a therapy team that we've been with for seven plus years and very comfortable with them, A, being in our house, B, treating Emma um, the way she needs to be treated and making the progress. So I started scrambling a little bit personally. And so I reached out to our special ed director. And I said, what does it, what's it going to take for me to keep these same therapists? I said, I got an idea. I'll start an LLC, and I'll hire them, 
and I'll sell them out. Kind of joking, but it was a selfish way to keep our therapy staff. Well, that um, sparked some ideas with her, and um, starting in June, I will be the new RISA. I've started an LLC, and I am um, have received the Marshall County Schools contract. I'm waiting to hear back from Hancock, Brook, Ohio, and Wetzel County. But um, kind of interesting. Again, um, is it in my comfort zone? No way. Um, the three things I was never going to do outside, out of PT school was uh, management. I was never going to drive more than 15 minutes to work, and I was never going to work with pediatrics. Um, the job I'm leaving, I'm driving 1,000 miles a week and doing management of 1,000 employees, and now I'm changing to go into pediatrics. Um, so it's very interesting. But um, since then, Easter Seals has contacted me because my innovative plan has sparked their interest in helping them um, kind of create a program that we could do statewide. Um, so there's a lot of doors opening now that I have um, closed one door, allowed one door to close. So, but my question is, what's the difference? Yeah, um, I was willing to close doors before, and I was looking for other things. But what I didn't do, I didn't pray about it. I was, you know, prayer. I can handle that. I need to pray about the, the things at home. I can handle this job stuff, um, I thought. But then I began praying about it. I sought counsel. I sat down with Ron, and I said, these are my ingenious ideas. Tell me your thoughts. Am I crazy? Um, and, you know, I sought counsel, and then I prayed, and then I sought counsel, and I prayed, and I sought counsel. I met with a lot of people to make sure I was in the right mindset. But more than anything, God provided. God stepped in. Um, and the biggest difference was I, I was seeking more of the same. God was trying to get me out of that. He said, you know, why would I, why would I think that doing more of the same would create better results. You know, anybody know the definition of insanity? It's doing the same thing over and over and over, hoping for a different result. And so that was my comfort zone. And um, when I started praying and looking, uh, seeking God to open doors, um, he gave me something quite a bit different. And so um, it kind of inspired me to, to bring some information to you all about God opening doors, because not all doors are opened by God. Um, and so I think it's very important that we talk about that because as I went through this process, I learned so much through prayer, through studying. Um, so let's read in Revelation. If everybody wants to stand, we'll read uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 7 through 13. It says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I see before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogues of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. I behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world, and try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man taketh thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God, 
in the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him in my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. You can be seated. How about that? I told people they could be seated. That's the first time I've done that. And the other time I just let people get tired and then they finally sit. Um, so Philadelphia, um, this is an interesting place. If you um, do some research on it, it's actually here. There's the research. Um, it's at the juncture of um, Phrygia, Lydia, and Greece. It was the showplace for Greek culture in that time. It was one of the richest and most powerful cities in the ancient world. So if you can picture um, the ancient architecture, this uh, visual is beautiful buildings, um, beautiful structures, um, all the money um, put pumped into there. Um, but in 17 AD, they had an earthquake that had aftershock for months. If you guys know anything about earthquakes, they're very destructive. Um, all of the elaborate architecture within Philadelphia crumbled down um, around them. Anything that was still standing due to the aftershocks and everything was unsafe for anyone to even go into. So the result was people lived in tents outside the city. Now, I'll warn you, that sounds kind of cool, but it's not like going camping at the lake. Um, you know, In the ancient times, living in a tent outside the city, they were subject to marauders, to invaders, to bandits, um, you know, marauders, people looking to just steal anything you have. Invaders, the bandits, the, they call them traveling bandits, were out for blood. You know, they were um, very dangerous people. And as a result, thousands of these people were killed. Um, so we take a minute, um, you know, McMeckin's a good example. We think about the trauma there with the flooding. And... The, I know that anybody you talk to that's on the follow-up team, people were traumatized. When something of any magnitude happens to you, a traumatic event, you're very cautious. So we go and try to knock on their door to do something nice to them. Like, whoa, whoa, wait a second, what's going on here? Um, because they've been traumatized. Imagine these people. Um, their whole city crumbled, okay? That's one traumatic event. Then they go. Cam- they have to camp outside the city, and then mil- or thousands of them are being killed, and people are coming to steal everything that they have. Um, very, very traumatizing. So then we go into Revelation, and we see that John is writing a letter to a small church in Philadelphia. And, um, in some Bibles, the heading above this section is the faithful church. It's a small church um, in the traumatized city, by the time we read this, the um, city has been rebuilt. But as we know, trauma lasts. These people are still very traumatized. And so John brings a very important message to them. And it, I'm not very good at this, keeping up. This is definitely not for guys that don't multitask well. Um, John's message is simple. You're doing well, but I have some advice. Don't be so afraid. And we'll break that down a little bit more. But um, don't be so afraid, he says. So I um, want to kind of make a couple suggestions. This situation, extraordinarily modern, um, and John's words are extremely relevant in this time. And, and it seems kind of weird. I mean, we read this and we say, well, our city never crumbled. We didn't have um, 
bandits coming in. Well, let's talk about some of the modern relevance. This is, a, as I told you, a small church, right? A small church trying to live out Christian values in what? An unchristian culture. Sound familiar? Uh, if you look at some of the numbers, 85% of Moundsville is unchurched. Is that right? That's what I've heard. I mean, those numbers change all the time. Um, so would you say that we have an unchristian culture? I'd say that's a safe bet. Would you say we're a small church? Yeah. Um, are we living out Christian values? I hope so. Um, and I think we can talk more about that at any time. But um, I think very relevant to what we're talking about. Small church trying to live out Christian values in an unchristian culture. Next, a small group of Christians trying to live out their values against the government. The Roman government, very, very unchristian. Let's talk about our government. Not a lot. Um, and no, please don't chime in whether you like the president, you don't like the president. I think we can all agree government as a whole is very unchristian. Now, I'm not bashing the U.S. I think we have an amazing country, but I think we have a government that is um, attacking our values as Christians in general. And so, again, small group of tr- Christians trying to live out their values against then the Roman government, now our government. Very relevant. Next, a land at war with natural disaster. Um, very relevant. Let's talk about a few things. I just mentioned McMeckin. How about um, Irma? How about, sorry, before Irma, Harvey? Um, I always wonder, try to think of the order, and then I realize they're in alphabetical order. So um, Harvey, then Irma, in the California wildfire. So I put a couple things here, just some pictures. Hurricane Harvey, look at that devastation. Um, do you think that's a natural disaster? Absolutely. This is all from this year. Here's Irma. Um, a lot of devastation and then the California wildfires this was actually kind of hit close to home Um, the CFO for the company that I work for we were sitting down one day and he kept checking his phone he said we got to stop and talk about this for a minute his son lives in California but his son's in-laws had a house and they were taking pictures um, that the only thing between the fire and the ocean was their town, like their neighborhood. And so that first picture is very similar to what they were seeing. They were taking pictures of the fire coming over the hill. Um, They got out the next day. It got to the ocean shores and destroyed everything in its path, these fires. Um, Kind of sad, I was talking in um, Sunday school last week. We were kind of reflecting on 2017 um, at the new year, and you, know, you hear a lot about this stuff, but you don't hear a lot of the follow-up. You know, what is the status of the homes that were destroyed by um, Harvey, the homes that were destroyed by Irma? I don't know. Um, I don't hear that in the news, but I can tell you it's traumatic. I, and I know that because I'm still talking to people in McMeckin that have um, issues with flooding, that we just were able to help somebody get a back door installed two weeks ago and she has texted me multiple multiple times saying how much safer she feels because her back door will actually close and lock now Um, it's the small things but we know that these people were very traumatized so we're again very it's very relevant information that we're talking about a area traumatized by natural disasters so um like i said we will look back into the um section out of Revelation, dig a little bit more into it. Some of the highlights of the 
the great things that this um, church in Philadelphia is doing. He says, you're doing wonderfully. You're keeping your integrity. Um, integrity is a, a big word, uh, I think. Um, often, are we doing the right thing when nobody is watching? Because we know God is watching. But in here, John says, you guys are keeping your integrity. You're doing the right thing, um, even with all of this stuff that's going on around you. You're sharing your faith. You're going out. You're talking to people. You're standing strong for the Lord, and you're teaching sound doctrine. So if I said, or if I asked, you know, are we doing everything well, or are we doing well as a church? I would think, you know, this list, if we could check those off, we're doing great, right? But there was something else with this church. If you remember, he said, don't be so afraid. Um, and what, what do we mean by that? This is what he meant. You're so focused on what is against you that you've forgotten the one that is with you. Um, has you, have you ever been paralyzed by fear? Uh, that's my question. If you think about that, being paralyzed by fear, what is it? Um, you know, we're afraid to go witness. Why? Because we're afraid of rejection. We're afraid of the unknown. How many times do we not do anything because we're afraid of what we don't know, what may happen that we can't predict? You know, we're very... Um, comfortable going out and doing things when we know the potential outcome. I know, Dave, you're in management. I'm in management. The things that we do is we predict the possible outcomes. And if we can predict all the possible outcomes and we know, okay, if we're going this way, we either continue that way or we change route and go this way. Well, if we don't know possible outcomes, we're really afraid to move on because we don't know. And so, again, we're paralyzed by fear often. I think witnessing is very much the same way. What, how do we know how people are going to spawn? What if they reject us? What if they mock us? How are we going to handle that? We don't know. So, it's, so we don't do it because it puts us outside of our comfort zone. What if they ask us questions that we can't answer? Um, you know, that's scary. So then we just don't do it. Is that what God wants us to do? Absolutely not. But what, he, what I will say is this fear can be reduced when we're able to discern these open doors. Because what I'm talking about is we're fearful of going through these open doors because we don't know how to discern where this open door came from. Is it from God? Is it not? And so again, we look into the um, section out of Revelation and we see that um, the first thing that we see is no one can shut the door that God has opened. It's stated here that when God opens a door, no one can shut it. And when God shuts a door, no one can open it. Great. Very comforting. How do we know when he shuts it? Um, how do we know when God opens it? Again, that is the, the problem. Um, and so I'm going to pre- present three ways that we can discern whether God um, is opening the door. The first one, the door God will open will never contradict his word. Let's think about that. Will never contradict his word. So, we have a new job opportunity that's double your salary. Beautiful thing, right? You'll be able to do so much more with your family. The challenge is you have to work seven days a week. Every Sunday, you're at work. Um, morning and evening, you can't come to church. What are we being asked to do? We're being act, asked to neglect our corporate worship. Um, Hebrews 10.25 will never be asked by God to neglect corporate worship. So, um, we have a door that is 
open. We think it's a, a great opportunity. Personally, it's very satisfying. If we're asked to neglect our worship, then that is clearly not a door open by God. How about relationships? We have a um, new relationship we're very excited about. Um, if we progress within that relationship, we are going to be unequally yoked. Um, is that an opportunity presented by God? I would say no. Second Corinthians 6.14 talks about unequally, being unequally yoked. So again, um, if God would open that door, then he would contradict the word in Second Corinthians 6.14. So is that a door opened by God? I would say no. Um, finally, I think the easiest thing to realize here is if it's not a door opened by God, then what is it? It's a temptation. And what do we know about temptation? In James, um, God will not tempt us. So if we're tempted to do thing, things that are going to contradict God's word, and that's clearly not a door open by God. That is a temptation, and we know that is not from God. So the first um, rule of thumb, the door God opens will never contradict his word. Second, the door God opens will be accompanied with confirmation. And um, this is what I was talking about in our meeting. We had a, a great conversation the, as deacons, and we were kind of um, you know, discussing our thoughts between taking an action and... Um, Confirmation came through a phone call that was completely unplanned, completely unexpected. It was very interesting to see when we step back as a board of deacons. We say, whoa, how did that happen? <laughs> yeah, and so, um, but also the scripture tells us how do we get confirmation. In Matthew 18, um, chapter, or verses 15 to 16, it talks about confronting sin among believers. And what it states is, but if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may establish a testimony of two or three witnesses. So if we can confront sin with two or three witnesses, I think we can approach confirmation in the very same way that we can go together um, with witnesses. So what does that mean? I would say that we have confirmation by two or three witnesses. What are those? Could it be a phone call? Absolutely. Um, scripture. Does anybody ever find any answers in Scripture? I think I've been quoting quite a few here that um, you know, if we stick to our Scripture, then uh, quite often we will get confirmation because God's pretty clear that He doesn't deviate from Scripture, so why should we? Um, next would be seeking counsel, advice from a pastor, or someone grounded in Scripture that... We, don't, we may not know all the answers in Scripture, but if we know somebody that can help us seek out those answers or can find those answers, or somebody that has encountered these similar experiences, we can often get confirmation. And the third one would be these, the key to this, non-compromising circumstances continue to present themselves. Um, you know, if we are running from the call, you know, we hear that a lot. You hear testimony from pastors that were called and they're running they're running from it and it keeps presenting itself keeps presenting itself keeps presenting itself it's confirmation that you know god's chasing after you and god keeps opening this door and if you walk through it then um you're conforming to god's will so again the second thing the door that god opens will be accompanied with confirmation and finally a door god opens will require you to depend on him um consider that 
back to the beginning when I was talking about what I was doing. I didn't really need God to help me with all the things that I already knew. Um, so why would I? I mean, God, God is looking to help me grow. Um, that any of those changes that I had wouldn't have helped me grow. That would have let me do more of the same thing that I'm doing. But if you if you ever think about a door that's open, you say, "Well, I can't do that unless God goes before me," or "I can I can do this, but only with God's help." That is what we're talking about here. God's objective is for us to grow in our faith and our Christ likeness. Um, and how does Christ grow us if we're not leaving our comfort zone? And so again, if God's opening a door, He's wanting us to depend on Him. How does that reflect back to um, my life? I was clearly dependent upon him because I gave a resignation, and within a hundred days I was not going to have a job. Um, but I was, I was, you know, could, would some people say I was stupid? Yeah, and I may have been, but I was also confident that um, God would present me with opportunities because I knew that um, I was searching for opportunities. But I was also willing to let God uh, take over at that point because. I was kind of to the end of what I can do. And sometimes when we come to the end, we fall down on our knees, we start praying, and God starts opening doors. But again, if you remember, the first statement was, if we're not willing to let doors close, oftentimes we will not encounter new open doors. So my final challenge to you is we have open doors for temptations. I think each and every one of us have lots of both because... Anywhere God's working, we know Satan's working as well. And he's tempting us to all kinds of things, all kinds of ways that are very appealing. Opportunities that we see as opportunities, we could see them as open doors if we don't um, approach it in a manner following these three principles. Being able to discern, is this truly what God would want me to do? Um, So again, I think as we move forward as a church... I think we're always going to have open doors. This is a time of transition. You know, as a um, church family, we're seeking out pastors. We're seeking out new leadership. Um, you know, doors will be open for us. How how do we um, approach those doors? Do we face them as true open doors because we've done our um, our studying, we've found our confirmation, or do we um, fall into temptation? And so I would challenge you all to think about that. Um, very applicable. Reread this section out of Revelation. Very applicable to modern time. Very um, applicable in the message that was given by John. That's all I have. Let's go to prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be together as a family. And God, we look at open doors and. I know that everybody in here has open doors. Lord, some temptation, some truly open doors by you. God, I would just challenge each of us, um, or pray that you would challenge each of us, that we would be able to discern your direction, um, your will over these open doors. Lord, that we would walk uh, calmly, confidently in your word. That would um, enable us to no longer be paralyzed by fear. We would take a step in faith. We would lead um, 
by your direction. We would glorify you. And God, we could not only improve our relationship with you, our relationship with our families, we could improve our leadership, our work within the church because, Lord, you are presenting us with opportunities. Again, I just pray that we would each seek your guidance, your counsel through each and every step of the way. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.